You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. We find ourselves in the narrative this morning, and again we see that the nation of Israel has deviated from being a nation that has exclusively depended upon God, When brought to a place where they were in trouble and struggling, they would cry to the Lord, the Lord would deliver them. And now we have seen this digression uh, in 1 Samuel, that when there is trouble, when there is a problem, uh, they're not crying and demanding deliverance or asking deliverance from God, they're demanding for a king. And not only are they demanding for a king, but they're demanding from God the mode of deliverance. We, We did not read chapter 11, but in chapter 11... Nahash comes against them. And and they don't cry out to God. They don't ask God for help. What they do is they look around to all of Israel and say, listen, somebody come and help us. Hey, King Saul, maybe you're the guy to help us. In In that latest crisis, they think, in this situation, God cannot provide for us. In this situation, He has no provision for us. That's not true, but that's what they think. And often in our lives, we're the same way. It might be silent, it might be private, it might be low-keyed, it may be latent within us. But we, like Israel, come to times in our life and we say, in this situation, God has no provision, God has no help. I must look someplace else to someone or something or some organization. And this is where we find Israel. They're no longer looking to their true king. They're demanding a king to lead them out. And so we come to chapter 12 after the situation. God is gracious to them. They have a victory. And in chapter 12 now, Samuel begins uh, to lay out the plan for this nation. And it's interesting, he starts there by giving this little vial of himself. We read already this morning where he brings the people together. Look at verse number 2 this morning. He says, And now behold, the king walketh before you, and I am old and gray-headed. If you recall, that was, those were the two reasons why they said, well, old and gray-headed, plus his sons, that's in there too, that they said, hey, listen, um, we don't want you to rule over us because you're an old man. And by this time, he was probably in his 40s or 50s. Old man. Those are fighting words, aren't they? For us old men who are just in the prime of our lives. But he acknowledges, this was their complaint, I am old, and not only that, my sons are here, here, they were bad guys, I understand that. But I want you to know something about me, he says. Look at my life. Did I defraud any of you? Did I steal from any of you? And what he does is he, he has the entire congregation of Israel. And he says, you examine me. And if I took anything, if I was dishonest in any way, please tell me now. And they say, Samuel, you're a man of integrity. Could you imagine this morning, if just in this congregation, we one at a time would stand up and say, hey, listen, here I am, I just want you to know, I want you to judge me. I'm sure I never hurt anybody here. I never lied to anybody here. I never took anything from this place or from you. So if I did, please call it out now. Now, please don't do that at this point, okay? This is just an example. You'd be a little nervous about that at your place of work, in your neighborhood, in your own church, or with your family. 
And Samuel's not. Samuel is a man of integrity. He's a man of character. No defects there. Christian, listen to me. Don't play fast and loose with your testimony. When it's all said and done, what you have is your name. Your name. And when people say your name, there is something right away that comes into their mind. Sweet, kind, godly, righteous, holy, liar, thief, arrogant. I mean, it's there. You, you know it to be true. And too many believers, you're playing fast and loose. You're not concerned with your name. It's important, but not only that, not only is your name important, if you're a member of this church, your name is connected with this place. Hey, this church is imperfect. It's led by imperfect people, full of imperfect people. We have our issues. We have our problems. We try to deal with those things. But the truth is, in our community, we want to have a good name. And if you're a member of this church, when you leave this place, you take our name with you. So when you deal with people, when you talk to people, when you resolve a conflict, when you help your neighbor or don't help your neighbor, your name and the name of the church is wrapped up in that. Don't play fast and loose with that. It's important. And beyond that, this morning if you're a believer in Christ, forget your name. Forget Maple City Baptist Church. You are saying, I am a follower of Christ. You've heard the illustration, I'm sure. It, it's worth repeating, at least for me, and I'm going to do it since I'm up here this morning. But Alexander the Great, you know him, great conqueror, great military leader. Within his army, there was a rule. If you deserted on the battlefield, if you turned around, if you turned your back in fear, you were to be executed because everyone else would turn their back in fear. It was a bad idea. You were a coward. And one day after a battle, uh, a young man was brought before Alexander. And he, in the, in the midst, in the heat of the battle, had turned his back. He, he, he ran, he fled, and they found him. They brought him before Alexander. And when he was brought forward to Alexander, as he sat on his chair, Alexander could see he was just a youth, 14 years old. And, and a wave of compassion came over Alexander. He knew in the, in the midst of a battle, a 14-year-old, and he said to him, sitting on his throne, Son, what is your name? The young man said this, O great king, my name is as thou, thy, thy name is, the thou's and these, I don't get all of them, but thy, my name is as thou name, thou, not thou, thine, thine, very good. Thine. It is Alexander. And his whole face changed. Alexander left his chair. He grabbed the young man by his shirt and said, then either change your name or change your behavior. Christian, listen to me. If you're a follower of Christ, you can't change your name. But you need to change your behavior. And, and Samuel says, look at me. Check me out. I have not defrauded anyone. And if I have, say it now. And no one says anything. What he's saying is, I have been faithful. And then from verses 6 through 12, he says this. I've been faithful. I want you to see now that God has been faithful. God has been faithful. They have a history. And we won't go through the time, but he then relives for them all the ways that God has been faithful to his people time and time again, delivering them over and over again. Now jump, if you would, to verses 13 
through 15. Samuel now gives the people two alternatives in this situation. He says, Now therefore, behold the king whom ye have chosen, and whom ye have desired, and behold, the Lord hath set a king over you. If ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. He says, okay, listen to me. We have a king now. He's in place. I might not be happy with that, but I'm going to give you two alternatives now. Here's the first one. You as a people then can obey, faithfully follow God's words and commandments and live. And you say, okay, that's great. Pastor Rick appreciates that. We get it, but it has no connection with us today. We're not under the law. We're, we're New Testament believers. This has nothing to do with us. And, and I even find in, in, our, in our movement, there's this idea that the law is for the Old Testament. That's not us anymore. We are under grace and we have freedom. But let me remind you of something this morning because this does apply to us. In Exodus chapter 20, when God gives his commandments, the Ten Commandments, he starts out these commandments, these moral laws that, that reflect his character. He starts by saying this, Before I give you the law, listen, I am the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. By my grace, I delivered you. Listen to me. Grace came before the law. And what God is saying to his people is this. The law is not a bad thing. I have set you free. You are free now. And here's how free people act. They obey my words. They obey my words. Christian, we, we don't say, hey, I'm saved by grace now and I, and I just disregard the word of God. We are still to faithfully obey God's word. To, to obey his word. We are not prone to doing right. Do you understand that? When given the choice in my own flesh, I choose to do wrong. We need God's word. Listen to what D.A. Carson says. He says, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from great giving effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. He goes on to say this. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Listen to me, I'm not talking about keeping the Word of God to earn my salvation. That's not what we're talking about this morning. We don't keep the Word of God to earn freedom. We keep the Word of God to enjoy our freedom. And there's a huge difference there. Do you understand something? God, by His grace, has saved us. He has given us His Word to walk in it, to follow it. And the reason is because He doesn't want us to go back into slavery. Christian, this morning, you don't have to be a slave. You don't have to go back to those things. You don't have to be a slave to your flesh, a slave to bitterness, a slave to gossip, a slave to pornography, a slave to anything. God has given us His Word to walk in it. And there is freedom in that. Too many young Christians today are saying, listen, I have freedom to do whatever I want to do. That is not a proper understanding of freedom. I have freedom in God now to obey Him and to live the life that God has intended for me to live. I can live a life now and be who I was meant to be, a life of purity, holiness, 
balanced relationships, concrete compassion to live like God intended. If you prize true freedom this morning, then obey God's law. Obey his law. Augustine said this. He said, slavery to God is perfect freedom. He's exactly right. When I understand that he is God and he is good and his law is for me to live in the way he has designed me, designed for me to live, I have perfect freedom. That's option one. Here's option number two. Look at verse number 15. But if ye will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your father. And he goes on to talk about wheat harvest. And this is interesting. Wheat harvest takes place May and June, and it is the beginning of the dry season. Uh, there's, rain is, is scarce now. And he says, listen, I want you to see something. I want you to see that God has seen your sin now, and this is how God responds. And so there's lightning and thunder and this great storm, and it's obvious to all the people that these are agencies of destruction in God's hand. And what he's saying is this. You have a choice this morning. You can obey God's word and live, or you can suffer justly under his hand. Under his hand. As believers this morning, we have great liberty. We have relief of lots of fear. This morning, I don't have to fear men. I don't have to. I should fear the one who can kill both body and soul. This morning, I don't have to fear judgment, right? Because by God's grace, I've been saved by his love. Perfect love casts out all fear. But I want to tell you something. As a believer, if I continue to live a life that is contrary to God's word, I ought to fear him. Fear is not a bad thing. Fear is a healthy thing. A healthy thing. Those of you who have raised children or are raising children, you know that you want them to have a healthy fear of running across the street. Why? Because you don't want them to die. Some of you might think that at times, but you don't want them to die. You keep them from dangers. There should be a healthy fear of that. That's what God says. Listen, we ought to fear God, a proper fear of Him. God be for us, who can be against us? But if God be against us, it doesn't matter who's for us. And what God is doing in this situation is this. He is showing these people His attitude toward their sin. This is the first time in this entire narrative that they finally acknowledge that, yes, we have sinned against God. Yes, we are in trouble. God is angry with us. And so, Samuel, pray for us. God is angry at sin. He's angry at all sin. And if you ever question this morning God's attitude toward your sin and my sin, look to Calvary. Look to Calvary. On Calvary's mountain, you want to talk about lightning and thunder, the wrath of God was poured out upon his son because of your sin, because of my sin. And the people see this, they understand this, and they're terrified. They're terrified. Look what they say now in verse number 17. This is what Samuel says to them. He says, I want you to perceive and see your great wickedness is great. You have done this in the sight of the Lord for asking for a king. And they see it in verse 19. And all the people greatly feared and feared the Lord and Samuel. And the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. For we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. 
And here's what happens. They finally see their wickedness. They finally see their sin. They're terrified. They say, listen, pray for us. We have sinned against God. And I want you to see now what God will do to these rebels. I don't know about you, but as I've read the Old Testament, I get tired of Israel. How many times have they rebelled? How many times have they forgotten? How many times have they turned from God? It happens over and over again. And here they're caught. And here they cry out. And what does God do now to these rebels? Look at verse number 20. They understand their sin. They understand their wickedness. They see it as God sees it. Look what Samuel says. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not. Ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with your heart. He says to them, listen, you have sinned. You're caught on this, but you recognize it. You see it as God sees it. He says, now there is a hope and a future for you. For you. Why would God bother? I mean, really, the truth is, you know this. You know yourself. I know myself. How many times we we fail, we stumble, we blow it, and we, like Israel, look for other places for our needs. Why would he bother? And here's what Samuel says about this great God. He says, verse 22, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because he hath pleased, it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. I want you to see something this morning. Here is Israel. They have sinned. They've been caught in their sin. They finally see it the way God sees it. And, and, and what he does is this. He says, listen, there's a hope and a future for you as you recognize this because, first and foremost, because of my great name. It has pleased me to make you my people. Listen to me. God has, it's pleased God to choose us as his people, those who repent and call upon his name. And we can trust that he is kind and gracious and loving and forgiving because of who he is. In my, in my house, there's some things that I just don't like. And one thing that I really don't like at all is I don't like cold hands on my back. If you're like that, but I, if, if my kids' hands are cold and I don't have a shirt on, they look for me, they find me, they, 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 they want to catch me, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Some of your spouses are like that, cold feet, cold hands. And, 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 and my youngest is infamous for this. He'll take his hands when they're freezing cold and put them on my back. And when he does this, my mind just sort of snaps and I want to kill him, okay? Kill him. And so I'll grab him. He's, he's 13 now. I'll grab him. I'll throw him down. I'll say, I'm going to kill you in, in play, of course. And he says, Dad, you can't kill me. You're my father. Oh, that's right. Sorry, that's too bad, right? <laughs> can't do that. You can't beat me up. You're my father. And he knows and understands because of who I am, I'm committed to act a certain way. Christian, listen to me. This is the God we serve. It's not because of who we are. That God is gracious and kind and loving and forgiving and, and lets us get up again and again and again. It has nothing to do with us. It's because of who He is, we can expect Him to act in a certain way. He is good. He is loving. He is kind. He is gracious. And when I'm stupid, He is still good, loving, kind, and gracious. His great name. And that's what He shows His people. Does Israel deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth? Yes, for the umpteen time. And you and I, in our constant sin and rebellion, 
don't deserve anything less than that. And yet, because of his great name, we are not consumed. But there's more here. Not only is it his, his great name, it is his great grace. His great grace. Where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. And his grace is certainly greater than all of our sins. And believer, if there's one thing that we have lost sight of as Christians today, is his great name and his great grace. His great grace. The truth is, every one of us this morning, we have made tragic mistakes. We have things in our life, like Israel, that, that when they're exposed, we say to God, God, this is a great, great wickedness. We see it for what it is. We see it how He sees it. And we feel that, we sense that, and we know that. But I want you to know something. There's, there's much to be said about God's great grace. Because in their tragic mistake, because of His great name and His great grace, they're cleansed, they're forgiven. They're made to live and go on. This morning, I want to encourage you, if you've made one of these tragic mistakes, because of God's grace, gladly receive it. Some of us this morning, we have lots of skeletons in the closet. And we keep on going back there over and over again. Israel had lots of skeletons. And God didn't say to them, okay, you asked for a king and you blew it. I'm done with you. It's over with. He says, here are your options. Do this now. Look and live. And we must gladly accept his grace this morning. If you've had a tragic mistake, don't relive it this morning. Don't go back and wallow in your guilt. Don't continue beating yourself up. Don't keep pushing the replay button. Don't rehearse all the gory details. That misery never brings atonement. And some of you folks think you're being spiritual by keeping, by, when you keep bringing those things back up. Listen to me. God's great name and God's great grace says, I have forgiven you. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Let it go. Let it go. Receive His grace. You cannot reverse the irreversible consequences of sin. We've all done things that we wish we could take back. And we can't. And so what I'm telling you this morning, because of God's great name and His great grace, quit beating yourself up and accept, gladly accept His grace. When we see our great sin and look to His great steadfastness, steadfastness the latter can keep us from despair over the former. It's by God's grace. Gladly accept it and then gladly extend it. Gladly extend it. In this chapter, I do, I see God's great name. Because of who he is, he acts a certain way over and over again. And I'm continually amazed at God's great grace. And we should certainly accept it, receive it, glory in it, thank God for it. But we should also extend that. For many of us this morning, we have forgotten what it means to be saved by grace. And because of that, we are not ready. We, we want God's grace. We love God's grace. We'll accept God's grace. But we're not so sure that He deserves it. Or she deserves it. We certainly do. But ah, they should suffer maybe a little bit more here. That's not how it works, my friend. 
I want to share for you a story quickly this morning. Um, I heard this story, true story, several weeks ago. I've been wanting to tell this story for four weeks now. So I finally found a place where it fits in. I'm going to tell the story this morning, right? Because it does fit here. True story. Um, a famous pastor, preacher, speaker, uh, was traveling in engagements, speaking all over North America. And, and on one particular engagement, he ended up in Hawaii. Don't you love those speaking gigs? End up in Hawaii, right? And because of traveling with a time difference, the first night he was there, at 3 in the morning, he was wide awake. Wide awake. Could not sleep. Left his hotel uh, room and started walking in the streets in Hawaii. 3 o'clock in the morning, just looking for a place that was open. And sure enough, after making some turns, found this, this hole-in-the-wall kind of building. It, it, was a, it was a diner. A diner. And it was the typical greasy spoon kind of diner. So he walks in. There's nobody there except this big burly uh, cook. You know, and, and it was just a typical, he had the apron on and the, the we call them wife beater shirts. I, I probably shouldn't call them that, but that's what, you know, those tank top stupid things that just, yeah, just hair everywhere. The pastor sits down at the counter and says, hey man, he says, uh, I'll have a donut and coffee. And so this, this big cook there says, okay, and he takes his hands and just wipes them, you know, off on the thing, reaches over, grabs a donut, puts it on the counter, just not on a plate, on a, it's a hole-in-the-wall place, right? Puts it on the counter, pours his coffee, and the guy was thinking, oh, brother, it's three in the morning, I don't have many choices. So he finds out the guy's name is Chuck, they have a short conversation, and, and just a few minutes later, the door opens and eight women walk in. It's three in the morning. These eight women are all prostitutes. So here's a pastor, three in the morning, uh, in the greasy spoon place with the Chuck, the, the guy there. And he says, hey, listen, what's the deal with this? And he says, these ladies, after work, always come in here about three in the morning. And so as the ladies came in, the pastor took down the information in his head. And as they came in, there was this, this younger girl named Agnes there. And they were joking with her and teasing her and said, oh, we should bake a cake for you and we should have a party for you and we should get streamers because it's your birthday tomorrow. And you could tell that she was, she was really bothered by what they were saying. She was, she was disturbed. They were just teasing and harassing her and giving her a hard time. And she said out loud, I should have never told you it was my birthday. It's stupid. No one's ever had a birthday party for me before in my entire life. And they finally quieted down and they, they eventually left. And the pastor said to Chuck, he said, Chuck, you know what we're going to do tomorrow? He said, what? We have a birthday party for Agnes. He said, all right, as long as I can make the cake. Which I thought it was probably a bad idea, the greasy hands, but it didn't matter. He's going to make the cake, right? He said, sure. And so sure enough, the, the cook made a cake, told his wife, and they, they brought in streamers and, and they brought in balloons and they had a cake. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, the pastor showed up there, sat down, and Agnes walked in with the rest of her co-workers. And they started singing happy birthday. And... She, she, she was speechless. She, she walked to the cake and looked and said, I, I can't believe this. No one has ever made a cake for me before. I've never had a party. And she said, my mom is just on the road. Can, can I take the cake and show my mom? And, and Chuck said, I don't care what you do with it. It's your cake. Do what you want. She grabbed the cake, left the, the room, and everyone was just sort of standing around. They were just stunned at what had just taken place. And the pastor said, well, we ought to pray. Which, and they were like, ah. So they prayed with the, the ladies there, and prayed for Agnes, prayed for grace, prayed for, that God would change her life. And after the prayer, Chuck said to him, Hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you go to anyway? And in a moment of clarity, 
pastors say a lot of dumb things, but this was in a moment of clarity. He said, I go to the kind of church that throws birthday parties for whores at three in the morning. And Chuck said, that church don't exist. Because if it did, I'd go there. Now, some of you, you're real uncomfortable now, right? You're not sure about this illustration, where it's going. Wait, wait a minute. Birthday parties for whores at 3 in the morning. That, that doesn't sound like a Sunday kind of theme going on. Can I tell you what that is? That is grace. That's grace. And that's the same grace that was extended to you and to me. And so, if that's the grace that God gave me, then why in the world would I not gladly give that grace to someone else? How can we continue to hold bitterness in our hearts? How can we continue to hold grudges? How can we continue to gossip and be angry and evil and wicked when when this grace was given to us, we should extend it to other people. Listen to me. No one has sinned against you more than you have sinned against God. No one. And that story is a perfect example of the gospel of Jesus Christ that reaches down in our filth and our vileness and says, you are wicked, you are guilty, you deserve to die, but because of my great love, I will come down to where you're at. I will reach down to you and I will forgive you and cleanse you and I will clean and the prostitute is no longer a prostitute. She becomes a bride. The bride of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. My friends this morning, this is our God. And he's amazing. He's amazing. And what he does today in our lives, he does for his great name's sake. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. How good, how smart, how intelligent, how charismatic. None of that. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. Period. And when we see that, you know what happens in our lives? Everything starts to fall in place. And it's like, if this is my God, why would I not look at His Word and love His Word and read His Word and apply it to my life and follow it? It's great namesake. There is no slave in Christ who is not truly free. We're free. I don't have to be what I was before. His great namesake and His great grace. Christian, some of you folks quit beating yourself up. It's not an exercise in holiness. It's a, it's, it's a failing to understand that God's grace is sufficient. You are not the first person in human history who's made a tragic mistake. Look at the Bible. It's full of those stories. God is not surprised <laughs> at all by your mistake. He's not like us. When we see it for what it is and we repent of it, it opens the door for forgiveness and cleansing and to be done with that. Accept it this morning. God, forgive me. I, your great name is amazing and this is what you've done for me. Lord, forgive me. Help me to quit beating myself up and continue to go back to Calvary and know that I'm washed and cleansed and forgiven. And then, when you get all that settled, you better start extending that grace. 
since there's a bunch of prostitutes out there who need birthday parties. And by the grace of God, may this be the kind of church that does it. And some of you are uncomfortable about that, like, I can't believe those kind of people. Then, then you don't understand the gospel. And you don't understand your sin. And you don't understand anything about what Christ is trying to do in life of people today. It's a shame. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.